Hello, this is Louis Porras, and welcome to a special edition of Kingsnake.com's web radio. Uh, today we're following up an interview that Jeff Berger did a little over a year ago with uh, Dr. Adam Britton, and that interview was on the plight of the Chinese alligator. Uh, it's the middle of the night here in the U.S., and we have Adam on the line all the way from Australia, where it's uh, late afternoon. So, how are you doing today, Adam? No, I'm doing pretty well. I'm not sure whether to say good afternoon or good morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I understand that you're originally from the U.K., and that um, early on in your career you work with all of such things as the feeding behavior of egrets and uh, ecolocation and foraging behavior in bats uh, before you moved on to Australia, I guess to the Northern Territory, to work with crocodilians. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Usually my accent gives it away. Uh-huh. But that doesn't sound like an Aussie accent. There's something definitely wrong there. No, I started off, uh, yeah, I mean, basically I'm a zoologist. So um, I did a zoology degree and then a PhD. Um, and I did all kinds of different things, working on birds and insects, and then finally bats doing my PhD, which was just excellent, uh, just excellent fun. And very interesting questions that were being answered. But deep down, I've always been really interested in crocodiles ever since I was about six. I wanted to work on crocs, so, you know, I ended up getting more documents out of the library that were concerned with crocodiles than I did bats. I got a bit of a reputation when I was doing my PhD, and eventually when that finished, I thought, right, so that's it, I've got to get out and actually actually do some field work and, and really sort of get out into the field and, and learn more about these animals from a, a more hands-on perspective. I mean, you can read as many books as you want, but until you actually work with them, you really don't don't begin to understand them quite as well. And who is it you work for now? I work for Dr. Graham Webb, um, who is probably one of the leading croc um, experts in the world. I mean, he's quite a quite an honor to work for me, actually. I mean, when I was young, he was one of the people I looked up to. I used to have his various papers and documentaries he had on the TV, and so the opportunity to actually work with him was, was quite a, an amazing revelation. Hey, what is it you do exactly? Um, well, that's a difficult question to answer. I, I do just about everything you can possibly imagine. Um, I mean, essentially I'm a researcher here, so I mean, I'm involved in, in more pure biology research. I'm involved in behavioral research. We do a lot of projects with students and we run a lot of projects ourselves and we do a lot of contractual work as well for various people, including the government. But I also do a lot of conservation management work. You work with salt really? crocodiles? Yeah, uh, I primarily work with saltwater crocodiles and freshwater crocodiles. I mean, I've, I've worked with a whole, a whole range of different species, but the salties and the freshies are the two that I've worked on the most. I mean, there's really quite an interesting conservation problem that has developed here in the Northern Territory, or had developed, and it's just about being solved now. And that was one of, one of the things that attracted me here. I was very interested in the fact that um, you have a conservation program here that successfully enabled people to, to live with and in fact, even respect the crocodile population. And, and yet what, this is one of the really big conservation problems that crocodiles face around the world these days. And that is the fact that most people don't want crocodiles around because, you know, even if they don't eat people, people perceive that, that they eat people. Mm-hmm. And so trying to convince local populations that these crocodiles are alligators or caimans, you know, need to be conserved and their habitat needs to be conserved is a very uphill struggle. So I thought, well, how on earth did they manage to do it in the Northern Territory? And the solution that they found here was basically very simply we're simply a case of saying okay if you want to keep these animals around let's make them worth something to you so I mean, initially that was involved with with the egg harvest here harvesting the eggs from areas of the wild where the eggs are going to flood anyway so it wasn't actually affecting the wild population uh, and giving an economic value to the landowner and to to crocodile farmers of the actual crocodile. 
and it just worked phenomenally well and now tourism has taken over i mean here if you ask people here now in the street you know what do you think about crocodiles? Every so often you come across someone who says, God, I hate them, they're terrible creatures. And you say, well, do you want to get them, would you like to see them extinct um, or eliminated from the territory? And most people now don't want that to happen. One person said to me that I thought was very interesting. She said, well, she said, I used to want crocodiles to become extinct here in the territory. I used to want to get rid of them because I was just a menace. But she said, now I wouldn't because she said, I realize how important they are to the people of the Northern Territory. And I think that really hit it on the head, the fact that the people here don't care about the crocodiles, but they care about the fact that crocodiles are worth something to people. Um, now, this kind of conservation strategy that's worked for the saltwater crocodile here is not applicable to all species. Otherwise, everything will be a lot easier. Um, and with the Chinese alligator, for example, it's certainly not applicable. But it certainly begins, I mean, I've seen crocodile management programs in various different countries around the world now. And when you look at these different programs, certainly one common thread in that is the fact that the people, the local people are the ones who have got the power to either destroy the animals or to conserve them. And so you've really got to get those people on your side in order to make any progress. Right, okay. Well, Adam, uh uh, I guess move on here a little bit uh, to about the Chinese alligator. In case our, our listeners haven't had a chance to hear what you had to say in the earlier interview, uh, I want to maybe discuss briefly what that was all about. You know, of course, the Chinese alligator resembles the American alligator, but it's much smaller. Uh, it also has a very restricted range in China, and the natural populations are, are critically endangered, although in captivity there are uh, a lot of specimens. Uh, it, during that interview, you also talked about some of the problems dealing with the conservation of this species, as uh, well as a push to try to preserve some of the remaining habitat and so on. So I would appreciate it if you can briefly recap some of the major problems that the Chinese alligator faces in China today. So if you can yeah, okay. briefly tell me about, uh, tell us what that was about. Yes, well, the main problem with the Chinese alligator was that it was acknowledged many years ago, back in the early 1980s, that the amount of habitat available for the Chinese alligator was rapidly disappearing. It's all basically been turned into farmland because you've got a lot of very poor people living in that area who need to survive. And in order to survive, they're using agriculture to, to grow food for themselves uh, or, to, or to farm animals. And that same land is used by Chinese alligators. And of course, as you can imagine, the Chinese alligators are not really worth anything to anyone. Most people don't like them in China. There are a lot of misconceptions about what the alligators are, what they do, you know, the danger that they pose. Not really a danger in terms of now eating people, but the fact that they will they'll cause damage to ivy fields, for example. They're, they burrow extensively, the Chinese alligators, and obviously if they're burrowing underneath paddy fields, they tend to collapse while the water floods out, and it doesn't really make them too popular. Um, they also tend to eat a lot of their farmer's stock, such as ducks and geese and things like that. Anything really which, which is obviously going to be very, very valuable to these very poor, poor people. And so they view the Chinese alligator in the same way that we might view a rat who happens to be raiding our cellar. You know, as far as they're concerned, it's just a nuisance. Uh, and not only that, it also bites. So as far as they're concerned, getting rid of the alligator is something that they, they're, they're actually wanting to do. It's something they're pushing for. Uh, and so there's really been no incentive uh, in China to try and, by, by the local people anyway, to try and conserve the alligator. Some people there do have respect for the alligator, and certainly the alligator's got quite a big cultural history behind it. But at the end of the day, when it comes to surviving, that really doesn't make any difference. Um, and so the problem is that the habitat was disappearing and everyone was getting very concerned about the fact that the population of the wild was disappearing. And so back in the 1980s, 
there was a big push to try and develop a captive breeding program for the alligators. Um, and in fact, that captive breeding program was phenomenally successful. In fact, it was so successful that people kind of forgot about the wild population. And so in 1997, when surveys were conducted there by John Thorby and Hansen of the Wildlife Conservation Society, he basically came up with a very shocking news that actually there were far fewer alligators left in the wild than, than people thought, and there weren't many left before. Uh, he said that there were probably between 130 and 150 individuals in total in the wild, and that there was currently no population that was living in any protected habitat. The habitat that was protected wasn't actually wild habitat, it was modified habitat. He said that there was virtually no breeding taking place in the wild, and that the future for the species was pretty bleak. He predicted that, you know, if nothing was done, the, the, the species was probably going to become extinct in the wild within 10 to 20 years. Now, that's a fairly serious situation. Now, the only light at the end of the tunnel to this was the fact that because there was a very extensive captive population, that meant that the species itself wasn't going to go extinct. That we had basically a core base of animals which could be used for potential reintroduction programs. The problem was trying to persuade the Chinese that it was important not to lose the wild population and that it was important to actually put some money into trying to reintroduce these animals. And <laughs> four years ago, it looked like quite a considerable hill that had to be climbed in order to do this. Now, uh, one of the things that Jeff asked during that last interview was a question of what we could do as, uh, as herpers, and uh, I guess you answered that it was important just to get the word out about the plight of the alligator, and uh, you also spoke a little bit about the Chinese Alligator Fund. Uh, what can you tell us about the fund? Well, the Chinese alligator fund really developed from my initial shock at hearing the news about how many alligators there were in the wild. I thought, my goodness, you know, this is terrible. Um, I mean, I, I, one of the things, when I was originally interested in crocodiles many years ago, I wanted to make sure that I could, very naively perhaps, uh, contribute to their conservation. I always felt as a young, a young kid, I thought, you know, I want to go and help save crocodiles. And here I am faced with a, with a species which is, you know, very seriously in danger of going extinct. And I thought, well, I want to do something about it. I don't want to sit around on the sidelines. Uh, and so I thought, well, you know, I can, I mean, in, in my professional capacity, my work here at working with Graham Webb, who is a regional chairman for, for the Asian region, and I knew I was going to be able to do something in a professional capacity, but I wanted to do something else as well. And I felt that the idea of raising funds was something which was necessary. I mean, when you try and do a fundraising campaign, not only are you raising funds for something, but you're also increasing awareness. And most people didn't even know that there was another alligator on the planet, never mind anything else. So, you know, getting information to people to say, look, you know, there is actually another species of alligator and it's actually just about to go extinct. And it was the inspiration for the Chinese dragon. And no one seems to care. You know, we need to do something about this. So uh, there was a big, uh, I had obviously a really big incentive to try and do something about that. Um, I also hope that, that what, we, what we would do would actually have some larger implications. I hope that, I mean, how can I put this? Ultimately, in order to do anything in China, um, you're going to need to raise millions of dollars. And I was under no pretense that the Chinese alligator fund were going to raise millions of dollars. What I was hoping that it was going to do, however, was to raise at least, a, a, well, basically kickstart the progress, the process to to get especially people in China uh, aware of the fact that there is a great international interest in the Chinese alligator and that uh, you know, a lot of people don't want it to go extinct. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it had multiple goals um, to the Chinese alligator fund and uh, you know, it was it was quite ambitious at the time and you know, <laughs> 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 my fingers crossed right. to whether it was going to succeed. 
I understand that you also have some pretty important information to report. But before we get on to that, time has come for us to take a short break to hear from one of our sponsors. This episode of Kingsnake.com Web Radio is brought to you by OnlineHobbyist.com, the leader in online advertising solutions for the pet industry. And by Triple L Reptile and Supply. Triple L Reptile and Supply is dedicated to bringing you top quality service, great selection, and low prices. Stop by their website at LLLReptile.com. If you've been looking for a site that is as serious about your animals as you are, then your search is over. eHerp.com has everything for the serious herper. At eHerp.com, we know that your time is precious, so don't waste it looking through pages of products that you know you'll never use. Remember, eHerp.com. We're as serious about your animals as you are. This is Louis Porras, and we're visiting with Dr. Adam Britton in Australia. And today's topic is an update on the situation regarding the status of the Chinese alligator in the wild. So, Adam, uh, tell us uh, what it is that you have to report uh, that's so important about the status of this uh, critically endangered crocodilian. Okay, well, what I'll do is I'll, there's like a two-stage, if you like. Um, first of all, what happened with the Chinese alligator fund is that it was actually very successful. We raised, in total, over a period of about six or seven months, just over 10,000 US dollars. Now, that falls a long way short of the other several million that's required to do anything. But it was enough money to get the attention of the Chinese government. The Crocodile Specialist Group received a, an email from them basically saying, you know, we're, we're very grateful to you for uh, essentially uh, providing a catalyst through the Chinese Alligator Fund. We're very interested in the amount of support and we're very honored by the amount of support that, that's been received. Um, and, you know, this was great news for us because we thought, well, you know, this is actually getting through to them. I mean, let me make it very, very clear that the Chinese Alligator Fund was one of the many, many different things that has been involved in, in the whole push. We've worked very extensively with China on this who have been extremely cooperative. I mean, most of the work that's been done to make progress has come from the Chinese. There was a, a resolution that passed at the IUCN which committed China to actually do something about the problem. And the international community also pledged a commitment to help China. And all of this really resulted in a workshop which took place in China in September of last year. And the whole point of the workshop was, first of all, to get international crocodile experts to China to, to you know, basically provide some advice, provide some information, and, and to, to learn what the situation was firsthand. A number of specialists visited different localities, which the Chinese were suggesting could be potential reintroduction sites. So obviously, you know, the Chinese were thinking very much about this. When we actually got there, it was very soon that we were having to pick our jaws up off the floor because the Chinese had already drawn up a draft management plan for the species and they'd made provisionally a very significant commitment to the conservation of the Chinese alligator. The Chinese Premier himself visited several of the sites and I mean that is very, that's very indicative of, of great interest indeed in the, in the species and they announced to us that uh, in essence the Chinese alligator had been elevated to the same level of conservation importance in China as the Chinese panda and Pierre David's deer. Whoa! So this, was about, <laughs> this was about as good as we could possibly have imagined. And, and so we, there were a lot of presentations there, a lot of discussions about what we could potentially do, and a lot of promises were made, and everyone went away, I think, feeling great. But ultimately, of course, 
the talk is one thing, but action is another. And so what we were hoping for was that, you know, that this would not be forgotten about and we wouldn't come back in five years and say, oh, what's happening with the Chinese alligator guys? And literally just before Christmas, we got news that the Chinese government has now allocated two million US dollars to the conservation projects in one of the provinces, one of the four provinces, uh, Anhui province, which is where they've got the large captive population. And the second province, which is Zhejiang province, has also, um, it's been provisionally approved that that province also will receive a significant amount of funding to help with the reintroduction program and the, and the habitat restoration. So, I mean, this is just amazing news. <laughs> this is fantastic, Adam, you know. <laughs> always, it seems that uh, most conservation initiatives are always uh, for mammals or for birds, uh, more or less for the warm and cuddly, and usually not for herbs, especially herbs like crocodilians that most people consider kind of mean and nasty, and, you know, so this is wonderful news. Yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, we, I think it really exceeded all our expectations. We did not think in 1997 when we heard the prognosis for the Chinese alligator that uh, four and a half years later, we would actually be you know, reading emails to say that the Chinese had, did, uh, had initially started to give $2 million US uh, you know, to start habitat restoration and reintroduction. I mean, there are very few conservation projects that get that kind of level of success. And so uh, everyone's just absolutely blown away by this. It's just incredible. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, the Chinese have really done an incredible job here. I mean, they, they really have. They were really instrumental in setting up the basis for this, the groundwork for this, because without this captive population that they have developed, you know, we'd be pretty screwed, to be perfectly honest. And I think really at the time that most of the emphasis was placed upon the development of this captive population and less emphasis was placed upon the importance of the wild population. And now that we've sort of turned around and said, look, you know, we can't let the wild population go extinct. That will be the worst possible thing that could possibly happen. You know, they've turned around and said, my goodness, you know, you're right. And, and you know, we need to develop that area as well. And so, you know, we're, I'm really, really very, very confident now for the future for this species. I mean, we're not there yet. It has to be said, there's still a way to go. One of the things about the Chinese alligator fund was that it was very, very clearly a catalyst to the start of this whole thing. I mean, being acknowledged by the Chinese that you know they were very, very grateful to everyone who contributed to the Chinese alligator fund. I think it really goes to show, you know, that a relatively small effort by a group of dedicated enthusiasts, you know, can actually have an important influence on these kind of big decisions that can actually, you know, decide the fate of species. Well, that's great, Adam. Uh, you know, I think people often sort of see these things and they. Say, well, you know, why should I donate $10 for this? Because it's not going to make any difference, really. But it does. It makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, if, if someone donates $1, the fact that they have thought that it's important enough to donate a dollar to actually send it to the fund. I mean, I showed a list of all of the people who donated money at the conference that we had in Guangzhou in China. And when that list went up, there was an audible sort of awe from the Chinese audience. They saw that and they couldn't believe you know, how many people were just so interested in, in the fate of the species. And this, these were people who were not, you know, conservationists, uh, they're not sort of professional crocodile biologists. And this, these are the sort of people uh, who, who just, you know, have a passion for the animals, who want to try and save the animals, or to want to do something. And um, save the animals is a terrible thing to say, but, you know, it's just people who feel that want to actually make a contribution and I often feel powerless to be able to make a contribution. Um, it's, every single little thing counts, basically. Right. Is there another species of crocodilian that you or your colleagues uh, hope to turn to next? 
Where do we start? <laughs> um, yeah, well, was, I think there are at least three or four more species. But the trouble is, it's not necessarily so easy. I mean, it has to be said now that the Chinese alligator probably can no longer be called the world's most endangered species of crocodilian, uh, simply because even though there's still only 130 of them left in the wild, there's now a significant conservation effort going into them. And so the chances now that these, these animals you know, will be saved is much higher than it was. Like I said, we've got a long way to go yet. But then you look at something like the Philippine crocodile, which probably now has got the unenviable title of world's most likely to go extinct crocodile species. But the problem was with the Philippine crocodile is the politics in the Philippines is completely different to the politics in China. And so it's all very well saying, oh, you know, let's, wait, let's raise half a million dollars, but there's a lot more to it than that. The success in China was very political as well as everything else. You can't just go marching in there saying, oh, we want to save this species. You have to be very careful. You have to work with the people uh, very much. And in the Philippines, we're a lot further behind in that, uh, in that respect. Throwing money at the Philippines problem is not the solution at the moment. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do with that. And then you've got the, uh, you've got the Siamese crocodile, which is not dissimilar to the Chinese alligator in that there are massive captive populations, but in the wild, they're virtually extinct in nearly every country that they occur. There was a population recently discovered in the Cardamon Mountains region in Cambodia by Flora and Fauna International, which has turned out to be, you know, really one of the healthiest populations of the species. The only reason is that no one's been there. No one knows they're there. There's no human access to the area. But even now, they're building roads into that area for logging purposes and things like that. And of course, you know, wherever there's people, you'll start to get conflicts between people and crocodiles. And crocodiles in Cambodia are worth a lot of money to people because of various reasons. There's some uh, illegal poaching of, of adults, uh, females going on in Cambodia. Um, and so it's very difficult to try and turn that around, to try and say, you know, how can we actually turn this around? How can we take the infrastructure that you've got there and develop a proper management program for the species? It's going to take a lot of work. There are many other species we want to turn to, but I think the important thing at the moment is we don't, we don't want to get two-thirds of the way there with the Chinese alligator and say, okay, we've done it now, let's go and talk, uh, look at something else instead. Uh, I think the focus here, I think the, the important thing here is to make sure that we push this to completion. We say, right, we've actually managed to work with the Chinese. We have created really a future for this species. So there'll still be a lot of focus on the Chinese alligator and the Chinese alligator fund will still continue. I mean, one of the problems, for example, at the moment is that, okay, $2 million has been allocated to that region, but we also need to find money to do the research. Um, the way funding works in China is a little bit complicated as well, and it's not, it's not you can't just say, okay, you know, where's my $2 million? It's going to require uh, a lot of uh, background research as well. One of the things that we're trying to push at the moment with the Chinese Alligator Fund is to get people to donate some more money so that we can specifically buy radio transmitters for the alligators because really no one knows what's going to happen if you start releasing Chinese alligators into a population, either an established population or a completely new area. And we've really got to do a lot of research and, and so that all the Chinese have got to do a lot of research there and find out really what's going to happen. And radio tracking is one of the tools that you can use to try and get this kind of information. Each radio tracking transmitter costs costs about 130 US dollars. The price varies depending on the on the size of it. So we can say to people, look, you know, you donate 110 or 130 dollars or whatever, and that, that will basically enable one Chinese alligator to be radio tracked for you know one or two years in its natural habitat. And so we'll be able to use the information to help to reintroduce the species into this habitat. 
similar habitats later down the line. Whereas before it was very vague. It was saying, well, you know, we need some money because we have to kickstart this. Now we can be much more specific. And it's in many ways more important now because, you know, we've got to keep the momentum going. We've got to keep things ticking over. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're not finished yet. <laughs> very good news, but, you know, we're not finished yet. Well, yeah, so it was very good news, Adam. Uh, I tell you, we're just about to run out of time here today. Thank you so much for coming on board today and being the bearer of good news, which is certainly a, a pleasant surprise. My, that's my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I really am quite very, very pleased to be actually talking to you in this particular tone rather than saying, oh, God, you know, the last species, the last uh, the Chinese alligator went extinct the other day, which is what I thought I might have to do. Instead, it's quite the opposite. So, yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd like to sort of say at the end is to anyone who wants to say, well, how can I make a difference? You know, go and visit the Chinese Alligator Fund website and go and buy a Chinese Alligator T-shirt because, believe me, it does help enormously. Well, this concludes a special update on the status of the Chinese Alligator. Thanks again, Adam. For KingSake.com, this is Louis Porras. And until the next time, which, uh, once again, we hope to have some news that will put a smile on your face, I bid you a fond and cordial farewell.